0: Please stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture is from John 21, verse 18 to 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. and Another will dress you and carry where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose, that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is God's Word.
1: It's from, San- from Sandy Island. Um, we had beautiful weather up there, which I imagine you had here as well. So it's been a good weekend. One of, one of the highlights was just as Travis was introducing the speaker, a duck walked in, <laughs> crossed the front pew, went down the center aisle looking each side as though he was looking for a seat, Spent about five minutes in the back of the room, and about five minutes into the talk, he comes back down the center aisle and, and exits. I guess, he, I guess he wasn't understanding the message, but uh, he joined us for a while. So, uh, of course, Dr. DeCampos from Gordon-Conwell is up there, and he's speaking on discipleship and what it means to be a disciple, which is where we are... Tra- trying to move our church, to be more outwardly focused by reaching out into Metro West, and to be developing ourselves through discipleship relationships, which is why we have the two Sunday School classes next week on evangelism and discipleship. What I found interesting as he spoke was the overlap between what he was saying and what our passage is about this morning. he speaks about discipleship, and this morning we speak about what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ they're really two sides of the same coin because discipleship is growing in that personal relationship. You know, we are often... uh, We often say as Christians, Christianity isn't so much a religion as it is a relationship with God. We talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But what does that really mean? Well, it doesn't mean... That God is revolving his eternal plan around our lives and acting towards us as though he's a celestial genie. It's not a feeling of closeness that results from us redefining God to meet our desires or to fit the cultural narrative. It is not about some subjective experiences where we think we hear the voice of God, even if those words conflict with Scripture itself. A personal relationship with God is much greater than a casual relationship or a friendship. Scripture likens it to a marriage. We are the bride of Christ. And in a thriving marriage The husband and wives are all about each other. Scripture likens it to the relationship between the father and son, that type of intimacy. And so in our relationship, God is desiring our best, and we are desiring his best. It begins, a relationship with Christ begins by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, Because contrary to popular opinion, we are not born in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are actually born separated from God because of our sin. So Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ, took our sins upon himself on the cross so that that barrier could be removed so we could have a personal relationship with Christ. And although Jesus is not physically present with us, we can experience intimacy with him because he sends his Holy Spirit to live within believers. And that Holy Spirit itself testifies in our hearts that we are children of God. As Romans 8, 15 says, we've received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out through the Spirit, Abba, Father. We can have intimate communication with God when we listen to him speaking to us through his word and through us speaking to him through prayer. And these can be as deep as we allow them to go when we allow scripture to speak specifically to us. And when we join God and unite God in his mission through our prayer, when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can experience his love through the good gifts he brings into our lives and by reflecting on the depth of his love shown on the cross of Christ. And we express our love for him by declaring it through our worship and by trusting him and obeying him. There's many more features to what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. This morning, we're going to focus on three that we see in this passage. Let's pray. Our Father, meet us where we are. We're talking about a personal relationship. So speak personally to me this morning and to each one of us through your word, by your spirit, so that we might know Christ more deeply and follow him more nearly in jesus name we pray amen the gospel of john which we are concluding this morning is about jesus and it's about us it begins with Jesus' identity as the word of god and that word was with god and that word was god it speaks of him as the only begotten son full of grace and truth The one who displayed, the only one who could display the glory of God. The one whom perfectly imaged God himself. The gospel walks us through the life of Christ, showing us that he provides everything in life that we need he gives us life abundantly. He offers us living water to quench our spiritual thirst. He's the bread of life, the light of the world, the true vine, the door to God, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life. In John's gospel crescendos, in Jesus' words on the cross, it is finished. Where he has drawn us to himself by finishing the payment for our sins. And it crescendos in Thomas's declaration, my Lord and my God, which should be a pattern for each one of us in understanding precisely who Jesus is and then personalizing it. He is Lord and God, but he is my Lord and my God. And then John concludes chapter 20, by calling us into that personal relationship, saying, I wrote this book so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing you might have life in his name. John could have ended his book right there. But he adds chapter 21 as an epilogue. And in that epilogue, he details the personal relationship of Jesus and what Jesus continues to do in the lives of his disciples. (coughs) It opens with him teaching his fishing disciples that they can't accomplish anything apart from his work. Then he teaches, he brings Peter through a a refining process where Peter declares his love, but in that process, he begins to look at his sin. And because of that, he becomes the servant that God wants him to be. In our passage this morning, we're going to see John unfold some aspects of his personal relationship with Jesus. <clears throat> and so, I hope that we learn from John's relationship with Jesus by three things. Grasping a personalized identity, understanding a personal path that we have with Jesus, and having a personal testimony. So we begin with our identity. <clears throat> What's the basis of our identity? Do we get our identity from what other people think about us? Or do we get it from what they coach us to say about ourselves? Do we get it from our profession, our education, our race, our gender, or as is, is most common today, how we f- who we feel we are? John based his identity on his relationship with Jesus. Last week's passage concluded with Jesus predicting that Jesus, that Peter's future included his crucifixion. And this, page, this week's passage begins with Peter asking Jesus, <clears throat> Peter asking Jesus a question about John's future. And so we read in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Now, do you notice, as John gives this narrative, he weaves his identity into that conversation. He self-identifies as the disciple whom Jesus loved. See, names regularly revealed a person's identity. That's why God names some individuals in the Bible and renames others. He renamed Abram, Abraham, the father of a nation. He renamed <clears throat> Jacob, Israel, which me. Ne- most people think means the one who strives with God after Jacob had wrestled with God. The names of the Son of God himself are Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, Savior. The names identify us. And what we see in the Gospel of John is he names a number of disciples, but he never gives his own personal name. He always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved because that's his name. That's his identity. If we were to ask John, who are you? He would respond, I'm a disciple of Jesus and I am loved deeply by Jesus. That's who I am. He could be the biggest failure, yet he wouldn't allow his failures to define him because he was loved by Jesus. He could be the biggest success, yet he wouldn't become full of himself because it wasn't about his accomplishments. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He could be canceled by his culture, yet it wouldn't affect his sense of worth because he was loved by Jesus. It's an identity that Jesus offers to every believer. Who are you? You are the one the creator of the universe loves and has called as a disciple into relationship with him. <clears throat> he was loved. He was also a disciple. Being loved means Jesus is for us. Being a disciple means we are for Jesus. It's a balance in our identity. As disciples of Jesus, we join the greatest cause in the whole universe for all time into eternity itself. Wow, what an identity. And our identity determines what we invest our lives in. John invested his life in letting the world know that Jesus loves them. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son Is the most... God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. That's the most memorable verse of the whole gospel, the gospel of John. As disciples, we understand our identity is firm, yet we ourselves are being transformed more and more into the image of God which is our ultimate divine identity as well. As disciples of Jesus, we invest in what Jesus invests in. But John not only spoke of his identity, he also described one of the most intimate moments between him and Jesus. Remember the verse says that John had leaned back against Jesus during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? New American Standard uh, interprets this a little more literally, and it says that John rested his head on Jesus' bosom. As I said in an earlier sermon, this speaks of the greatest intimacy. In the first chapter of John, he says that Jesus, the Son of God, was in the bosom of the Father. So whom do you let rest on your bosom? probably only three people I let rest on my bosom. It's my wife and my two granddaughters. If Steve comes over and just kind of rests his head on my bosom, I'm going to go, uh, let's have a little distance here. But John remembers that moment of intimacy. And then that moment of intimacy where he asks Jesus, who is it that's going to betray you? As he, he shows his concern for Jesus We should all embrace our identity as disciples whom Jesus loves. Yet there are going to be times when we don't feel loved in that way. Like John, let's remember those intimate times with Jesus so that we stayed grounded in our identity as those loved by him. It may be when we think about the time when Jesus brought us to himself. In that experience, it might be the moments when we sensed him as we prayed. Or when we're reading the scripture and it leaps off the pages and we know God was just meaning that passage for us today. Or maybe in a sermon that you said, I think God meant that one for me. Maybe times when he challenged us precisely where we needed to be challenged. When we waver in our feelings of being loved by him, Think back to those special intimate moments and also put yourself at the foot of the cross and hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them. He forgives me. It is finished. He paid the ultimate price in his crucifixion of separation from the Father for you, for me. Having a personal relationship with Jesus means that we define our identity in light of our relationship with Jesus. It also means that we realize we have a personal path with Jesus, a personalized journey with Jesus. You know, in our passage after Peter said, Lord, what about this man? We read, when Peter saw him he said to Jesus Lord what about this man and Jesus said to him if it's my will that he remain until I come what's that to you follow me See upon Peter hearing John's his own fate he started worrying about John's fate John's path and Jesus responded Peter don't concern yourself with John's path you just follow me in my path for you. He has different paths for John and Peter, a different journey for them. They weren't random paths determined by chance or by the events that surround us or what people do to us. They're paths that are according to Jesus' will. Peter's path had many disappointments and many highlights. He failed Jesus, and he was restored by Jesus. And Jesus' confrontation of Peter over his failure made him into the servant he became. He preached on Pentecost, and 3,000 people came to Christ. God chose him to lead Cornelius to Christ and led him to champion the Gentiles as equal heirs in God's kingdom. God prepared him for his suffering. And this enabled him to write 1 Peter, which are words to the church that are facing suffering and persecution. Jesus had a different path for John. He took a back seat to Peter. He didn't preach to the, we don't have the record of him leading thousands to Christ in any sermon. And yet, because of his intimacy with Jesus, he wrote us the Gospel of John, which calls us all of us into intimacy with Jesus, which gives us the fullest picture of who Jesus is and his love for us. He lived decades longer than Peter and he also wrote the revelation that God gave him. Jesus didn't reveal John's path to him and John wasn't curious about it. He knew he could trust that Jesus no matter where Jesus led him. We need to be careful, though, as we think about having a personal journey with Jesus, a personal path that Jesus has for us, because we could begin to think that Jesus is making it all about us. You know, it is true, Jesus enters our story because he loves us and he enters it in a loving and a caring way. He knows everything about us and embraces us, and is engaged with us, and watching over us. But also, we enter Jesus' story. After telling Peter to not concern himself with Jesus' will for John, Jesus says, follow me. Jesus' story is the central story. And we're privileged to enter into his story And be a part of it by following him and joining him in his grand mission. We know that God is love and so his plan is loving for each of us. We also know that he's working all things by his will to his glory. His love for us in the need for his glory to be displayed, come together in our lives' paths. We see it in Paul's declaration in Romans 8.28 when he says, We know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. See, everything that happens in our lives is laced together for our good and for God's glory. Think of God's plan as running on two rails. One is his love for us. The other is his glory. They run the same train. As one speaker said, God is working everything according to his ultimate good. Not what we think is good. But when God's good becomes our good then we realize God's working all things together for our good. Or uh, looking at it another way, think of the the train of history is moving toward God's glory. If we're not on that train, we're not going to see God working things good for us. But if we're on that train, then we are going to realize that all things work together for good for us. How do we get on that train? And The passage says, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Those who love him and align their lives with God's purpose of his glorification. Unfortunately, we have myopic perspectives which often lead us to become unsettled when we experience the pains of life, the tragedies, the disappointments, the suffering, or see that in other people's lives, or just look around the world and see the horrors of what's happening in our world. So there's some important truths for us that can help us through these times. First of all, cling to the gospel, to the cross of Christ, because... That's where we ground ourselves in the love of Christ. There's many events in our lives that cause us to question God's love. And I've had many of those in my life. What I do is I go to the foot of the cross. If I am questioning God's love, I go to the foot of the cross and I look at Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and the torment he's going through physically and spiritually in the separation of God. And I say, I can't doubt the love of Christ. And i constantly going back to that as an anchor. And it allows me to begin to interpret everything else through the eyes of God's love for me. I may not know how it's loving, but I know God is loving because I've been at the foot of the cross. We need to also understand that God's trials are in our lives to transform us. If we unite our purposes with God's will, we're going to value those trials and make that make us more like Jesus Christ. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Because they are producing endurance in our lives and Christ-likeness in our lives. Value the eternal more than the temporal. Set our minds in heaven rather on the things of earth. Value what God values and not what humanity values. And we will have a divine perspective about what's happening here and now. Know that even evil is used by God. We saw that in the life of Joseph when he said, As for you, to his brothers who sold him into slavery, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring about many people, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He saw something that life wasn't about him, it was about God and what God was doing for the world. God used even evil in that lesson. And then realize that our lives are woven into God's greater story. Our life isn't God's story. We are a part of God's story. We are a single thread in the God's tapestry, beautiful tapestry of history. We're not the tapestry. We're threads that God is using to build with the th- into the threads of the lives of others that will portray the ultimately the ultimate beautiful tapestry to the glory of God. Let's find contentment in that. God has a personal plan for each one of us that unites God's love and our desire for His glory. It's good. And when we understand that plan and as we live it out, we need to proclaim it to others because we have a personal testimony. You know, Our paths may be personal, but we shouldn't keep them private. Let's declare what God's done in our lives to his glory. You know, John's gospel is actually a personal testimony of his experience with Christ and what Jesus means to him. We see aspects of John's testimony in his description of the intimate moment. It was John who rested his head on Jesus' bosom. John who asked Jesus the question, Who's going to betray you? He weaves that into his gospel. We hear his testimony and his declaration that he's an eyewitness. Verse 24. This, meaning himself, is the disciple who is bearing witness of these about these things, who has written these things, we know his testimony is true. You notice he calls the story his testimony, his testimony that's true. You know, he could have chosen a lot of other stories to include about Jesus. He didn't include a, a number of stories that are written in the synoptic Gospels. And he included stories that Mark, Matthew, and Luke left out. He was selective in the works and teaching that he presented about Jesus because he felt those would be most meaningful to the audience to whom he wrote. He affirms this in verse 20, 25. Now there's many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that were written. You know, I see in this a hint at the fact that those books would include everything Jesus did while he lived, but also what he does after he lives. And the hundreds of millions of people who have personal testimonies of what Jesus Christ has done in their lives. And so John is writing this testimony. he selected precisely what he feels is going to touch his audience. I mean, he even goes to a point of clarification about what God said to Peter. In verse 23, John says, so a saying spread abroad among the brothers that this, this disciple, John, would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him he would not die. But if it's my will, he'll remain until I come, and what is that to you? And you know, Why does John include this? It's because the false teaching is going through the church. It was spread out, a theology began to develop is Jesus is going to return before John dies. And so as that theology thrives, what happens if John dies? Everybody holding that theology is going to think, oh Jesus, Jesus' promise was false. You can't trust Jesus so John, knowing his audience, some of his audience are thinking that way, he, he needs to bring this clarification. Jesus didn't say, he just said, if it's my will. So he's personalizing the story he tells to meet and fit the needs of those to whom he's speaking. Back in March in our Life on Mission conference, Paul Konstansky encouraged us First, to understand the motivational needs of our neighbors. And what he meant by that, the motivational needs, are what are our neighbors looking for in life? What's most important in life? What are they missing in life? And when we understand their motivational needs, we can tailor our testimonies to those individual needs. We might end up presenting our testimony in a different way to one neighbor as we would another neighbor because their motivational needs are different. So when we look at our lives and say, where has Jesus touched us in our personal journeys? And we start to connect that with our neighbors. This is precisely what John's done in his gospel. He spoke to doubters like Thomas who say, I I can't believe unless I see. He spoke to religious leaders like Nicodemus who trusted in their religious works thinking that would get them to God. He he spoke to women like the Samaritan woman at the well who was outcast. For those looking for loving leadership, Jesus is presented as the good shepherd. For those seeking truth, He's the light of the world. For those looking for the vitality of life, he's look, He offers living water. For those seeking spiritual n- nourishment, He is the bread of life. For those seeking to find God, He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. For those who fear death, He's the resurrection and the life. John's testimony speaks to all of us. Because John's not the center of the story. Jesus is. And our testimonies should touch the needs of others and how Jesus spoke to those in our lives and how Jesus can speak to those needs in their lives. Believers have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ whether we not we fully experience it, but we will experience that relationship when we define our identity on on the basis of our relationship with Christ, when we walk with Jesus in the personal path that he's willed for us, and when we fashion our story into a personal testimony to proclaim Christ to those who need him. The beginning, center, and end of John's gospel exalts Jesus. May our stories do the same. Our Father, we thank you for the richness of your word, for how uh, it speaks right to us. And I just pray that, Lord, we will take away and we will be grounded in the glorious truths you've led us to see this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.